We start this series called Talking About the Things We Don't Want to Talk About. It seems to me that there are certain things we are socially told you don't talk about in public, you avoid those things, or we think we can't talk about some things because if we do, then people will judge us for the thing that we want to talk about. So we become anxious, so anxious and so worried. But what ends up happening is, because we don't talk about certain things, we become locked in a little prison inside ourselves where we think, I dare talk about this because if I do, everybody else in the room will go, I can't believe he's talking about that, I can't believe he's said that. And what we have seen over the last few years, the more we talked about certain things that culturally don't get talked about, the more we've been able to support and love and care for each other in a really healthy way. Ultimately, Jesus wants to invite us into freedom and into health. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' big epic teaching that you find in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts talking about things that actually the Jewish people did not want a rabbi to be talking about. In fact, I would probably argue, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, looking at it culturally from 2,000 years ago, I think a lot of the people listening in were going, I can't believe he's talking about this. Because he talks about things that socially, as a Jew, you would not talk about in public. They were things certainly to be kind of left into private. But yet, Jesus brings them into the light for the purposes of bringing freedom and bringing health. And that's what he's about. So we want to do something similar. We're going to launch really lightly this evening, and then over the next few months, we are going to look at a whole range of things. So next week, uh, Becky's going to be preaching about grief. Uh, the following week, Dan is going to be preaching on anger. The following week after that, we're going to be preaching about ho- uh, uh, loneliness. And what we're going to do in the evening service that week is we're going to split up those in relationships from those not in a relationship, and we're going to look at uh, uh, loneliness from different perspectives. Often people think, if you're in a relationship, you therefore won't be lonely. Actually, loneliness exists in marriage and in relationships. It just looks very different and can look different. So we're going to look at those things. We've got Alan John, who are going to come and do some stuff uh, that evening, which is really exciting to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about depression, anxiety, worry, stress. And we're going to look at what, you know, what are the, what's the thing behind the thing behind the thing. So hopefully, we're going to cover a lot of things. There probably will still be things that we haven't covered And if you think, but you haven't covered, we have left a couple of weeks in March empty for the business of being able to put in the things that we as a community start to say, no, we need to look at this. So if you think there's something particular we should be looking at, then talk to us because we've left a gap uh, for that. Shall we pray? And then we're going to make a start. Lord, we want to pray, come Holy Spirit. It's uh, only by your Spirit that we are changed. It's when your spirit reveals to us what our real identity is that we really know who we are. Lord, it's only when we know who we are that we know how to behave. So Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we spend some time looking at your scriptures, Father, would you speak to us through it? Would each of us see something that we haven't seen before and hold on to it? So we pray, come. Spirit. And all the saints said, Amen. 
This evening, I, I want to talk essentially about money and control and consumerism and culture and uh, the world that we find ourselves in, because the world that we find ourselves in shapes who we are. And the world that we find ourselves in shapes how we think about ourselves, and it'll shape how we behave and, and how we would act. We uh, all are very good at controlling things. We're good at controlling things. Some of it is we can control the temperature on, on our flat. We can control what we do with our time. We also control what we do with our money and with our resources. And at times, the things that we have can also control us. Sometimes, uh, we end up buying more and consuming more because we want to try and control the world around us. We want to feel safe in a very unsafe world. So we end up thinking, if I could get more, consume more, or buy more, I'll be more stable and secure. Therefore, I'll feel happier about myself and happier about the world around me. And this plays out, doesn't it, in the, I need a bigger car, I need a bigger phone, I need a nicer flat or a bigger... Because we end up playing into this social pecking order where you see it on Facebook where, and you'll, you'll know this yourself when you'll go on Facebook to see how a school friend is now doing. Because you want to know how are they doing in the social pecking order. Because it means that you feel safe and secure if you're doing better than they are. It's always nice when a friend has married has fallen apart or they've lost their flat, or they've lost their job. Because it means you're, you know, you're doing better, aren't you? It, that's kind of, don't pretend that you don't lie when you do that kind of thing. Uh, we want to know uh, what's happening in others, because then we can feel better about ourselves. We also can use what we have to control other people. A number of years ago, I was a youth worker uh, on the other side of the city. And there was a guy that was really wealthy. And he would come to me and say, tell me, Chris, what the youth work needs, and I'll buy it for you. And he would buy kind of whatever we needed, speakers and projectors and that kind of thing. And one particular week, uh, I was going to the, the church elders meeting that he was going to be at. And he came up to me before the meeting. And he said, do you know that I bought you the projector for the youth work? I was like, yeah. He said, tonight we're making this decision. I want you to vote this way. Like, we can use money to control others, can't we? And sometimes it's subtle, and sometimes it's really, really unsubtle. We use our stuff and our money to make us feel safe. Often, um, we want to control other people with the stuff that we have. And Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount because he knows that this was a problem. It wasn't just a problem for us. Consumerism isn't a modern concept. Uh, consumerism is a concept that existed 2,000 years ago. Where there are people, where there is money, where there are those who want to use power over people, then people will behave in this kind of way. So Jesus wants to talk about it because it's something that's happening in culture. Now, I've got a couple of things I'd love to share with you. This is just humanity. And um, this philosopher, I love this little quote. Consumption is a system of meaning. We assign value to ourselves and others based on the goods that we purchase. One's identity is now constructed by the clothes you wear, the vehicle you drive, and the music on your iPod. In short, you are what you consume. A couple of months ago, I needed a new mobile phone. And I was weighing up, do I go for the new iPhone 8 or do I go for, wait and get the iPhone X? The kind of, I was weighing this up. My old iPhone was three, month, uh, three months old. 
<laughs> was three years old. He was dying. I was trying to wait, which we would go with. I'm chatting to Isaac. Like, my 13-year-old son knows more about technology now than I do because he watches all of the, the YouTube channels. And I'm talking to him. And he essentially said to me, you want to buy the iPhone X? And I was like, why? And his line was, so I could go to school and tell all the other boys that my dad owns an iPhone X. I ended up deciding to go for the 8 because I just, just don't n- need a phone that's... That kind of, anybody else bought the X? We'll shame you publicly. Um, I ended up going for the, I mean, going for the lower phone, and it's still an expensive phone, isn't it? It's a ridiculous kind of concept in itself. But I ended up making a choice. My little boy was like, no, daddy, you need to go for the X, and all my, all my schoolmates will. What we consume helps us create an idea of ourselves and how well we are doing in the world. Anybody love Fight Club? Apps. If you're not seeing Fight Club, as long as you're over 18, watch Fight Club. Um, a few years ago, if you've never seen Fight Club, it's about a fight club. A few years ago, I had a whole bunch of vicars coming to a meeting at the church. And I put a big sign outside the church that said Vicars Fight Club. And it was basically a deanery chapter with a whole bunch of like, a slightly older clergy. And uh, I put this sign outside saying Vicars Fight Club and got photographs of these clergy coming in with this sign. I thought it was hilarious. Maybe they're less so. But um, Edward Norton says this. We buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. Isn't that true? We buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't even like. And as Freddie Mercury once said, I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. There you go. I want it all, just a little interlude. I want it all and I want it now. This is the culture that we find ourselves in. I hate, absolutely hate going to Stratford Westfields on a Saturday. It's a vile place. I mean, Friday's pretty bad. That's the day that I tend to go. It's a little bit quieter. But it's just a vile place. It's a place that tells all of us, if we're not consuming these things, then we're not valuable. And we're not kind of, do you know when I hit 30, I went through this whole like thing, I'm, I'm turning 30, and one of the youth groups said to me, Chris, what are you going to do when you're 30? You're going to retire as a youth worker. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, do I have to retire as a youth worker when I hit 30? And I made this decision on, when I was 30 to do something called the Nazarite vow for a year, where I decided I wouldn't buy any new clothing, I would only make my own clothes, I wouldn't cut my hair, and there was a whole bunch of other things in there as well. But it was essentially me trying to work out, how do I separate myself out from a world that was communicating to me, when you walk in this shop, if you don't buy these things, then you are not, um, you're just not in, you're just not cool. Like, how did I break, how was I going to break that? And I decided for a year to not cut my hair. I looked really, really, really scruffy. Somebody at Spring Harvest said to me, you'll never preach on main stage if you look as scruffy as that. I love it. Um, Then I grew a beard instead. Culture marinades us with this flavor that tells us this is how the world should be. This is how the world works. And slowly we become more and more like the culture around us to the point where we think the life that we live is normal. The life that we live, friends, is not normal. We are living in the top 3% wealthiest neighborhoods in the world. You and I are wealthy compared to the 78% of people that are behind us in the world. The problem is we look at those wealthier than us and we say, well, I'm not as wealthy as that. 
Therefore, I'm pretty poor. Rather than turning around and looking at the 70, sorry, 90, my maths is really bad, the 97% of the world that's behind us that are living genuinely, I wouldn't say in poverty, because some people are just behind us, but living very different lives to us. You know the parable of the frog? How do you boil a frog? You put a frog in a pan and slowly turn up the temperature and you can boil a frog alive by slowly turning the temperature up. You know this story? You're looking at me really blankly. Some of you need to just Google. There's great things you can learn if you just Google. You can boil a frog alive by slowly turning the temperature up on that frog and killing it by boiling it alive. Friends, culture is doing the same with us. We are being boiled alive to think that there are certain ways of behaving and it's okay. We think it is okay to consume and fill our wardrobes with more and more clothing. We think it's okay to keep buying more CDs and buying more DVDs and buying more jewelry. We think it's okay to accumulate more and accumulate more and accumulate more because we think we're more powerful then because I'm stood on all the stuff that I've bought and I'm secure and I'm stable. And Jesus speaks into that world view. So I'd love you to just join. We're going to flick. Oh. I want it all. Sorry. I'm going to flick back to the passage. Do you want to take out a Bible from uh, your seat? And we're going to just slowly walk through a little passage where Jesus wants to talk about what we do and how we behave with what we have got and what do we invest our lives into. So if you want to take this out, this is on page 1023. I'd love to encourage you over the next few weeks to take some time and just read the Sermon on the Mount from beginning to end. Matthew 5 through to 7. Just read it through and see the kind of things that Jesus talks about. So this is uh, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. I'm just going to kind of go through slowly. Don't close the Bible behind you. And if you've got your phone with it on, just kind of track through. I'm going to walk through it just line by line and explain a bit of it first. So... In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right in the heart of it, in the center, Jesus says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on, what's it say? Earth. In other words, don't buy more stuff. Don't buy more stuff. Don't store up your treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But... Start up yourselves treasures in heaven. Heaven's treasure, my friends, is generosity. The treasures of heaven, uh, or you can say the language of heaven, is just generosity. The language of hell is greed. I need more. I need more. I need more. It's all about me. I need more. I need more. That's the language of hell. The language of heaven is generosity. Why is that the case? Because that's who our father is. The heart of God is a heart of love. And what is love? Love is the overflowing generosity that God has for each of us. That the language of heaven or the posture of heaven or the behavior of heaven is generosity. But the posture and the behavior of the world around us is very deeply connected with the posture of hell, of greed. Why is that? It's because the devil wants to tell you and I, you're not valuable unless you have. You're not secure unless you have. You're not in control unless you have. The devil wants to use greed 
to make us feel like we need more to be more secure. And Jesus says, don't store up uh, treasures in heaven. Heaven's treasure is generosity. Where moths and vermin do not destroy. In other words, rats can't find you in heaven. I love it. Rats aren't going to find you in heaven. Where thieves can't break in. They can't find you in heaven. Thieves ain't going to find you in heaven, friends. So that's, that's the bank you need to put your treasures in. They can't steal. I, I've, I've written my trans. This is my translation of this line. This is Chris's translation of this line. So this isn't biblical. This is now me. They can't steal what you have already given away. Like Jesus is saying, what you've already given away into the storehouses of heaven, thieves can't get at it because you've already given it away. Thieves can only take what you are holding on to and storing in your pockets. We were out yesterday uh, in London, and Daisy has just got a mobile phone. Well, it's not really mobile. We haven't put a SIM in it. So it's, just, it's more like an iPod at the moment. But uh, she's got this little phone that we have given her for her birthday. Uh, so when she gets to high school in September, she's got her own little mobile phone. And she's carrying it around with her because she, she's really excited about the fact that she's got this mobile phone. And everywhere we went around London yesterday, she's taking it out of her pocket to look at it. And we're surrounded by people who are looking. You can see them going, 11-year-old girl, she's got a phone. I love that. And I'm saying, Daisy, you've got you've to stick this stuff deep. If you want to care for something, you've really got to look after it. Or it will get stolen. She has no idea. She, she just needs to get it nicked, and then she'll, she'll learn. They can't steal what you've already given away. And then verse 21. For where your treasure is, your, your heart will be also. Why is he, what's he, why does he say that? Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Where, where the things that you treasure the most, your heart will be. Why? Because that's what you want to protect. If your heart is wanting to protect the things you've got on earth, then it certainly can't be in heaven protecting the things that you're trying to store up in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You'll protect what your heart has invested in, Jesus says. In other words, what are you investing in? What are you stockpiling in? I find this really difficult because line after line through this, I'm going, is he, is he saying this to me? Because such, um, such the language of our culture it is so different to this. Um, let's just keep going. Verse 21. All right, just take, uh, yeah, verse 21. This next bit is a bit of a left. It's, it's a bit weird. He's just been talking about money. Then he starts talking about your vision. And so Jesus says, uh, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your, your whole body will be filled full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's like a little interlude in the middle. It's like, what? what? Jesus does this a lot where he's saying one thing and then he confuses you with something else. And then when you just get in your head around, what did you just say? He then comes back to his original point. And then so he goes on to say, uh, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You can't serve both God, generosity, and money, greed. You cannot serve greed and generosity. You can't be generous in giving away and greedy at the same time. It's physically impossible. If I gave you a packet of Skittles and I said give them all away, you can't with one hand give away and the other hand keep. It's just not, you know, you're either generous or you're greedy. It's kind of, you can't serve both. Now that little bit in the middle that's just confusing, we'll come back to that in the middle because Jesus is saying something really interesting but we miss what he's saying 
because we're not a part of the culture, is quoting from something. He's got an idea that he's just trying to remind people of. So, you can't serve both generosity and money greed. You know, the last week Raph was preaching, he just told that little story about uh, the boys that he felt God tell him he had to go and talk to who he could see were. Were they using drugs or dealing drugs? Rolling, rolling a spliff. And Raph felt God said, go and talk to them. And Raph says, I can't. I'm working right now. I need to earn some money. And he missed an opportunity. I thought it was a great illustration. You cannot do the work of God and be generous whilst at the same time being greedy. It just doesn't work. So there's three things I want to draw out from this uh, this evening. And we're going to have to listen to this again. I want it all. There we go. I want to say this. Three, three very short things. We all have everyday greed. It is really easy for us to look at people with money, wealth, in big houses and say, Whoa, they're greedy. They're stockpiling. Can I remind you, we're the top 3% wealthiest in the world. We are stockpilers. We are stockpilers. We all have everyday greed. Let me give you an example. You're out at a friend's house visiting. There's four of you having a cup of tea and there's five biscuits on the table. And you think to yourself, Peter Elder admitted to this this morning, if I get in there first and get the first one, I might get the fifth one as well. Everyday greed, my friends. Everyday greed. Uh, when I was a youth worker in Brump, uh, Peter Hal Jones, Alex um, used to live there, Peter Hal Jones used to say uh, to me, let's go out for lunch. And we used to go for a, a buffet. And it was all you could eat Chinese buffet. There is nothing that brings out greed more in a human being than buffet. Because you know you're paying the same amount and I want to get as much as I can from them onto my plate. We had a game that we would play. How many plates could we fill and eat at the buffet? I had always got eyes bigger than what my belly could really cope with. Just everyday greed. How often do we end up with food on our plates because we've just made too much or we put too much on our plates? Just everyday greed. How often do you find yourself going out and you're having coffee with Dan here? Dan says, what do you want? And you think to yourself, oh, Dan's paying. Dan, I'm going to have a piece of chocolate cake and a latte, please. And you're thinking, but when I take Dan out, he's only having a latte. Everyday greed, trying to get more out of somebody else than you want to give to them. Can you be honest with yourself? Sometimes you might have examples of your own where we just have this sense of everyday greed. You're making something, or you're, we have a big thing in our house where Daisy and Isaac, there's a piece of cake left and they're going to half it down the middle. And one of them will cut it at 60% and 40% and quickly get the 60%. So we've instated this rule that says if you cut the cake, the other one chooses the first piece. You have never seen Isaac more diligent to get 50-50 in your entire life. Every day greed. We are all greedy in some way. Either down to what we consume, what we buy, what we purchase. Walking into a shop, you see a top but you've already got it in blue and in red and in orange and in green. But there in front of you, it's in pastel. And you think, I need it. Everyday greed. We have wardrobes that are filled full of stuff. Now, Jesus talks about everyday greed in this passage 
right in the middle, this interlude that looks like Jesus is rumbling on about eyesight. Suddenly Jesus is talking about everyday greed. And he says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full, full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be filled full of darkness. Now, there's a thing called an idiom. Does anybody know what that is? I had to Google it. And Becky explained it. I was hoping Ben Whittle would be here because he's very good with that stuff. The eye is a lamp of the body. Is, is this called an idiom? I'm going to just explain it. You're in Jerusalem. You need to go to the market and you need to buy some herbs. So you go down to the market. Some market traders were known to want to swindle you out of money. If they could sell you something but try and keep 10% of it. So for example, you go, you want to buy a pound's worth of a particular herb. If they could make their weighing scales slightly wonky so they could only give you 90p's worth and yet take your pound, they would do that. And uh, they would end up with weighing scales. When I ordered these and I got them up, Becky said, are you dealing drugs? It does look a bit like that. And they would have weighing scales where one of them was just a little bit thicker so that it wouldn't weigh equal. Or they would rig it so that the table wasn't quite straight, just enough that they could keep 5 10% back for themselves. So it was an unequal trade. And the Jewish community said, rather than having a good eye to see that this is equal, a bad trader had a bad eye. And they would say, that trader over there, he has a good eye and makes a good deal, but you don't want to go on a, on a Sabbath down to that market in East Jerusalem because those guys, they've got bad eyes. They're a bad deal. Because when they look at the scales, they're not looking to see if it's equal or not. Does that make sense? So you have a good eye or a bad eye. I, I chatted to my, I used this this morning, but my, my, my dad went to Lee's Market uh, last weekend. And how many satsumas did you get for a pound? 30. I mean, Yorkshiremen know how to haggle. I mean, how you get 30 satsumas for a pound, I have absolutely no idea. Yorkshiremen love to haggle. Ian, who's a part of our morning congregation, he's a haggler. He and I pride ourselves in haggling and getting best deals possible. Um, And he'll often come in to me and say, you'll never guess what I got this for. He loves it. I was at Fern Street just the other day, and uh, one of our congregation um, came up to me and said, guess how much I got this for? And he started showing me their coat and telling me how much they'd haggled. You know, I'm not talking about just getting a good deal. Haggling, getting a good deal is fair. I am haggling with you, and the power is in the two of us. As we, this, is not, this is not about haggling. This is about someone manipulating somebody else to gain more for themselves. And Jesus says, how is your eyes? How is your eyes? Are you somebody that is fair in the way that you work things out? Or do you try to manipulate a situation where you can keep 10% back? And if you can do enough of those, you can make yourself 100%. You can then trade again. You can make more money. How is your eyes? Are you fair or do you manipulate the situation for yourselves? There's a danger that we all have this everyday greed where we just, oh, we'll push it. We'll see what we can get. Could I try 
and get myself more than what I'm owed. And Jesus said, you can't be generous and greedy. You can't give away and be generous and be greedy. You can't have good eyes and bad eyes at the same time. You either have one or the other. You will be somebody whose eyes are filled full of light because you're generous. You're like, God, you're giving away. Or you'll be somebody who's squinty eyes. You've got your eyes shut in darkness because you're just trying to keep it for yourselves. So which are you? How is your eyes? You can't serve two masters, God and money. So that's the first thing I kind of want to get us to just think about. How is your eyes? Are you somebody who's filled full of light? Are you, like Jesus says, the mind and eyes full of darkness? Second thing is this. God's obsession is not our obsession. We are obsessed with money. Our culture is obsessed with money. We want to accumulate more and make more money and make more money. And unless we make a conscious choice to be different, then we will boil ourselves alive. Now, I know there are some of us in the room that are making conscious decisions to to go the other direction because you're making a conscious choice. Unless you make a conscious choice to consume less, to live on less, to not play that game, the world will always pull you in that direction. Unless you make a conscious decision. There's nothing inherently wrong with making money. We need money to exist. But God's obsession is not the same obsession as we are. God cares more about the condition of your hearts than the condition of your wallets. God will not say to you, how nice is your wallet? Or how full is your wallet? How many store cards have you got in your wallet? He says, how's your heart? Is it filled with light? Or is it filled full of darkness? That's the language of God. The language of generosity. Is your heart filled full of light? Or is it filled full of darkness? If you are not sure about your identity and who you are, if you don't know who you are, you'll try to find your identity in what you consume and what you buy. If you know that you're a child of God who is deeply loved, that needs nothing else in your life other than the love of your dad, then you don't need to keep buying and buying to make yourself feel better. The more people know who they are, the less they need to consume. I hope that's kind of making sense. Some of those amazing people I know, the most wealthy people I know, are also the most generous people I know. And this is one of the things I said this morning. Um, it's really interesting. In East London, we live in one of the poorest neighborhoods. On our income level, as a church, we have uh, much lower income levels than most of the churches that are in West London. So as a church, if you put all of our congregations together and how much they earn together, we earn far less as a church than a lot of churches in West London do. But the generosity in you guys far outweighs the generosity of some churches in West London, even though they earn more than you guys you're far more generous than they are. And it's really exciting to see just the generosity in our congregation compared to others. Because that kind of communicates something to me about you knowing your identity. Your identity is not found in, in what you hold on to. Your identity is found in the generosity of partnering in the thing that God is doing. So God cares more about the condition of your heart than the condition of your wallet. And the third thing is this. Jesus says, stockpile what's valuable in heaven. If you want to invest in God's bank, you've got to know what we're trading in. 
Does that make sense? You've got to know what, what's God trading in if that's what I want to get into trading. And I would say things like this. The, uh, the things that God says are eternal and he wants us to trade in are this. Tra- treating people right. Forgiveness and grace. Loyalty and love. Seeking justice and naming injustice. Loving other people beyond ourselves. That's the language of heaven. That is all language of generosity. And it's all language of, I am going to love the hell out of the world around me. And that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is valuable in heaven. God loves it when we're generous because that's the language of heaven. We're meant to use possessions and love people. Not love possessions and use people. Let me say that again. That's a good little tweet if you want to tweet it. We're meant to use possessions and love people that love possessions and use people. We're meant to use our possessions to love the world around us, not use people to build up our possessions. So I just want to kind of end by saying this. What's the antidote? How do we move ourselves from where we are to where we want to be? And I would say... The frog is a really good analogy. If you want to become more generous and actually don't want to play into the language of hell, then the way to change yourself is to marinate yourself in a different thing. It's as simple as this. The more we marinate ourselves in God's worldview rather than the way the world works, uh, that is the thing that will transform us. So I would say this. I would say this. Start by practicing generosity. If you want to be generous, don't pray, God, make me more generous. Just get being more generous. Uh, if you see somebody who's asking and is in need, be generous. Don't think to yourself, oh, but are they going to use it on drugs? You can't control how someone else will use that money. But you can control the state of your heart. And there are too many times when I have said, I'm not going to give you a pound because you're going to use it on drugs. Not to protect them, but to protect the pound in my pocket. I've used something that sounds good to benefit me. That's actually about my greed, everyday greed. So if you want to be generous, just start being generous. Just start being it, acting it out in any shape or form. I love living in a household with generous people. And the little notes and things I often find on my desk... And uh, often there's somebody in my staff team, I don't know who it is, on a Tuesday after staff meeting will have crept in my study and left a little treasure on my, on my desk just to be generous. I don't know who it is, but I love it. It's changing their heart, I'm sure, and it certainly changes me. So practice generosity. Secondly, I'd say this question, everything you buy, what's your motivation behind the thing that you're buying? Do you really need to buy this thing? If I've got a question in my mind about my motives, I've decided to say I'm going to give it a week before I actually buy that thing to see if I really need that thing. Because it's too easy in the shop to go, oh, that's a bargain. You don't actually need it. Now, there are some things I've done that with. I've gone, yes, I do need it. And then I've regretted when I've got there and it's not in the shop anymore. But question everything you buy. What's your motives? Third thing for me that I changed was I stopped watching adverts. We do not have um, terrestrial TV in our house. We watch iPlayer, uh, YouTube, Netflix, that kind of stuff. 
Because we're just trying to detox our entire lives from adverts. I don't want Daisy and Isaac, my kids, having their minds transformed by children's adverts on ITV that tell them they need the piece of plastic crap and they'll feel good about themselves. We're talking about My Little Pony at the dinner table today. You know, Bad adverts. We just detox adverts. We don't watch adverts. I've got an advert blocker on my computer because I don't want to watch adverts. So that might be something to think about. Change the way you think by blocking adverts from your life. It does mean that you sometimes don't see TV shows that are really good because you don't know it even exists. But if it's that good, somebody will tell you it's worth watching. And if you don't have somebody telling you, ask Ben and Tamsin from our morning congregation. Just let me know if something really good comes on. Because I'm telling you, they have really good taste in TV. Don't watch the adverts. And finally, I'd say this. Allow God to shape your security. The world shapes your security. It will be wonky. If God shapes your security, it will transform everything about who you are. You'll know who you are, you'll know what you're worth, and you'll know how to behave. Allow God to transform your security. Friends, you don't need anything other than him. And we're going to look at this later in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about the birds. Look at the birds. They're amazing. They don't have the half of the stuff that you have. They ain't complaining. In fact, they're singing out words of worship. They're declaring praise. They sing beautiful songs. You're a, God loves you more than birds. He's going to provide. We're going to look at that. Now, do you want to come and do something? I'm going to read this passage again, just nice and slowly. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. We want to be healthy and we want to be free. Because God wants to tell us who we are, what we're worth, and what he wants us to do with our lives. I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to just pray that there'd be something in the passage that almost just kind of sits with you that you can take home just to chew on, if that makes sense. So just close your eyes. I'm going to read this really slowly. Then I'll pray. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't buy more stuff. Where moths and rats destroy, where thieves will break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in the heavenly realms. Heaven's treasure is generosity. Where moths and rats do not destroy, destroy. Where thieves can't even get through the door. You can't steal what you've already given away. For where your treasure is, your heart will be deeply rooted. And your eyes, like a lamp to your body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be filled full of light. But if you're squinty-eyed, you have unhealthy eyesight, your whole body will be filled full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness going to be? No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. No one can serve both God, generosity, and money, greed. No one can serve both God, generosity, and money, 